The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And for the past few weeks, we've uh, several weeks, we've opened our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and as I've said several times, you are well familiar with that passage by now. But I do want to remind you that in Ephesians, Paul was warning Christians about supernatural enemies that war against the soul, and those enemies are too powerful for us. We can't defend ourselves against them. We can't overcome them except for the power of God, so we must call upon the Lord to help us to withstand the different wiles against the devil. We need his, uh, the Lord's protection against him. Chief among the supernatural powers that war against us is Satan. He's the one that's out in front that's leading the charge against us. And so to defeat Satan is to defeat everyone that follows him. The Bible says we're going to do that. We're going to defeat him and all that follow him. And when that happens, righteousness will prevail over unrighteousness. Our subject in the last few sermons has been about God's plan to defeat Satan. How is the Almighty God going to end the devil's reign as the prince and power of the air? Now, what God has done, he's given Satan so much time, only a limited amount of time, and then God is going to destroy him in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And the devil deceives himself into thinking that that's not going to happen to him. He doesn't believe that it will, and until that time comes, the devil will continue to fight against us. He will use everything that he can at his disposal to defeat us. And so you can be sure of this, that Satan does not believe hell is a reality for him, but he does know that it is a reality for you. And his ultimate goal is to destroy God. He cares nothing at all about what happens to you in the process. He doesn't want you to become a child of God by believing in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be saved because that means that you have been delivered from his kingdom and then you have been made into a person who can glorify and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the devil doesn't want to happen. Satan doesn't want that to happen, so he's going to use everything that he can, and he keeps blinding eyes to the gospel. He will steer you away from God. He will use every inducement that there is. And get this very important point, that he doesn't want you to know about the terrible consequences of the rejection of Jesus Christ. And so what he does, he tells you there's nothing to worry about. You don't really need to worry about hell. You don't need to fear it because, number one, you're not bad enough to go there. You're not bad enough to go to hell. And then, number two, if you are bad enough to go to hell, hell's not really that bad after all. You have plenty of friends there, plenty of people that you know there, so it's not really going to be that bad. Or the devil will convince you, number three, is that there is no hell at all, that God is lying to you about it. Now, somewhere in the mix of those lies is every person that died and went to hell right now. Every person in hell right now is in the mix of those lies. They believe Satan's lies, and now they suffer the eternal torment of that awful place. But Satan doesn't only work in the lives of unbelievers. He also works in the lives of believers. If by the grace of God you should understand the truth and You know who Jesus Christ is, and you have been delivered and been justified from hell. 
then what the devil seeks to do is to ruin your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So I need to remind you of this, that what you have been saved for is to worship God. You have been saved to be in His service. You have been saved to honor Him uh, and to be active in your church. And if you are not active in the Lord's church, you're not serving Christ in the way that you ought to. If you're not serving Christ as you should, then the devil's having his way with you. He's accomplishing his purpose in you in that he doesn't want you to be effective in your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what the devil wants you to do is uh, wants to do to you is to neutralize you so that you are no threat to his kingdom. And if you're not in the Lord's service right now and you claim to be a Christian, that's what Satan is doing to you. But today I don't want to focus on Christians. We've talked about that a great deal in these past few sermons. We've looked at the warnings that the Bible gives us about Satan. But now we're going to start to focus on that first group of people, the ones who have believed Satan's lies. Now Paul gives warning to believers in Ephesians and these verses that we're going to read in Revelation are verses that unbelievers need to hear. This is a message about people who reject Christ. This is the person who dies in unbelief, who turns his back on the gospel. He has been deluded by the devil. He never sees the light of Christ. And the unbeliever is doomed, and he will join Satan in the same place of his destruction. Now today, I want to talk to you about the process that takes place when an unbeliever dies. This is the thing that's going to happen first. There is going to be something that happens before punishment, before God sends a person to punishment. We're going to read what happens just before that, uh, just before that takes place. A person who uh, stands where this person stands in chapter 20 is never going to see the joy of Christ's kingdom. There's another place. There's a place of pain and suffering, a place of eternal torment, and you might not understand that. You might not understand why God insists upon eternal punishment for someone who rejects him. But hopefully, by the time that we finish these uh, next few messages, you will understand it and you will agree with it or you'll pay for the rejection of its truth. So one of two things are going to happen in these sermons. If you don't know Christ as Savior, then you'll get a chance to see what will happen for your unbelief. And if you are saved then you'll get a chance to see what God has saved you from. So in either way, you're going to get information that you need. Now, if you'll take your Bible then and look at our text in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10. This is the place that we'll start. And I think that maybe we'll just stand. We haven't done that for a few weeks. Let's just stand as we read God's Word. I think it's a passage that demands that we do this. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10. Verse number 10 is the end of Satan's long career as he's cast into the torments of hell. And what follows here is what happens to every person who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged 
every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Help us to see the seriousness of it today. As we look at this text, point our hearts to Jesus Christ to be sure that we have our faith in him. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look very closely at verse number 11. This is the vision, part of the vision that God gave the Apostle John. He was able to look into the future to see what God is going to do when he brings this world to a close. John said that he saw a throne, and he said that it is a great white throne. Now, we look at that description, and maybe we wonder, why does he say that this is a great throne? Well, I think that he does because of the judgments that come from this throne. They're judgments that have a tremendous impact on those who appear in this place. This is actually God's courtroom, and the judgments that come from his bench are monumental judgments. They are things that decide the eternal destiny of souls, and these are final decisions that will never change. Uh, We might call this God's supreme court because there is no court of appeal. There is no place else to go. And so we ought to pay very close attention to what's said in these verses because if we don't do it and we end up here, there is no do-over. There is no change of what ha- after what happens here. So what I'm asking each of you to do is to consider this, consider what's said. Even if you claim to be saved, I don't want you to tune out the message today. I want you to listen closely to make sure that you do know the Lord in your heart. And I want you to think for very hard for just a minute to be sure that, that you are in fact saved. Uh, the warning is in the scriptures for people that think that they're saved and they're not. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12, the writer said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So that tells us there can be people in the church who claim faith in Jesus Christ, but they've never actually believed in him. And uh, here the writer gives a warning about that. Make sure that you are not an apostate. Make sure that you're not someone who has heard the word of God, said that you believed in it, but actually in your heart you turn away in rejection of Christ. Now, if you can imagine the worst thing that could ever happen to you, you have not yet begun to understand how bad that hell will be. Now, many people think that the worst is over when a person dies. But if you think that, you've missed the meaning of the scriptures. Some think that death ends the Uh, The worst that can happen, but really death only opens a person up to another world, to an endless world where there is an eternal conscious death. Now the great white throne is great because of the supreme eternal consequences of it. There isn't any hope for what comes after. There's no hope that anything will change. And Satan does not want you to know the truth of that message. He tries to hide that from you. He conceals it. And unfortunately, there are pulpits all across the country and preachers across this country that help Satan to conceal it because they never preach about judgment and hell. These are very important subjects in the Scripture. They need to be preached. And that shows you how cunning that Satan is, that he controls pulpits, even in churches that claim to be Christian, and people think that they're safe and they're on their way to heaven because... The preacher has never told them 
what they have to do to escape a place that's called hell. Well, I want to show you what the Bible has to say about it. If God said it, we can't do anything less than to report it. In fact, it's my duty to tell you about it. And it's a, a duty because this is actually the last message that God gave in the Scriptures. Now, you see it here in verse number 20, but it actually also appears in chapter, or chapter 20, rather, but it also appears in chapter 22 as the very last message that we get from the Bible. God means to leave a lasting impression about this. Now, notice what he says in the 22nd chapter, verses 18 and 19. He said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. So that is a warning about unbelief. It's a warning about carelessness, about using and abusing, about changing, about discarding anything that God says in his word. Now going back to our text, we see in verse number 11 that there is a throne. There is a great white throne. It's white because in the scriptures the white stands for purity. Purity is holiness. And this throne is in stark contrast to those that appear before it because they are not pure. These are people that have the blackness of sin on them. They're people that are not holy. Sin has never been removed from them. Their sins have never been cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the judgments from this throne are holy. They are 100% right, 100% of the time, because they are based in the perfect righteousness of the judge who sits on the throne. He's the one who has never sinned. He's never made a mistake of any kind. He's the one who knows everything right side up, upside down, side to side, all around, everywhere. He is uniquely qualified for this because he knows all and he sees all. And so it is great because he is there and it's white because of his perfect righteousness. Now here's the first part then that I want you to understand. Sinners are going to be processed out to their final destruction. The great white throne is a place of judgment. And we need to see, first of all, who is going to be there. That is the inclusion of the judgment. Who stands at this judgment? Verse 12 says, And I saw the small and great stand before God. There is our description of who will be there. The small and the great. That's just the Bible's way of saying that all will be there. All that have never trusted Christ will be there. All of your family members, all of your friends, all of the people that you know, all of the people that you don't know that have never believed in Christ. Now he says the small will be there. Who are the small? Well, these are people that are not famous. Their names are not necessarily remembered by anyone. They live... And they die without anyone taking notice of them. Uh, in a week or so, there will be a memorial service for Brother Tom DeWitt's father. And he's going to be buried up in the National Cemetery in Sacramento Valley. And I'm sure you go there and you're going to see all kinds of headstones in that place. Many, many, many headstones filling the place. And uh, you could walk down through those rows of all of those tombstones. And though they have names on them... 
you probably won't recognize any of them. Unless you particularly have a family member or someone who's there, you're not going to recognize that. Those people that died and are in that cemetery, no one has ever taken notice of them or know their, they just know the name. They don't know anything about the people that are there. So these are, are people that never become famous. They're people that are never remembered. They die without anybody taking notice of them. They come from places like little villages where there, are, where there is no electricity. They come from jungles where no one ever visits, places that people never heard of. But they, they are also people that are living in average neighborhoods. They're people that go about the everyday duties of life. They go about their life never actually bothering anyone. They mind their own business, they go to work, they go to school, they go grocery shopping, they go to the mall to buy their clothes and to buy jewelry and to buy cell phones. They go different places, they go to Tahoe on vacation, they're just normal people that live normal lives. Among the small are also those that are the down and outers. Some of them are homeless, some of them live in bridges, under bridges and cardboard boxes. Some of them are in shelters and they uh, get fed at the soup kitchen. Some of them are criminals. Some are thieves and murderers. Some are in prisons. Some are in gangs and they should be in prison. Some are council members that peek in the windows, if you know what I'm talking about. And then there are also there, there are also there some church members. There are church members there. They go to church they support their church. They do what we call good things. They go to and attend the Catholic Mass every week, or they go to the, uh, they're very diligent about Protestant ministry. Some of them are kind and compassionate. They help others. They never ask for any recognition. They are just ordinary people. And what is the common denominator among them all? They don't have faith in Christ, they don't have faith in Jesus. Now notice that I did say that in this group there are church members because going to church is no proof that you are a true believer. The small and the ordinary will be at this judgment as we've just read in Hebrews. You, brethren, you take heed to yourselves that you don't find in yourself a heart, an evil heart of unbelief. Every church member has to consider that and think about this. Hell is out there for the person who is not a believer. It's a very serious thing. But then the Bible says there's also another group there. It's small and the great, so also the great will be there. That is the famous. These are people that are recognized. The rich are there. Politicians are there. Presidents and governors and kings and board chairmen, Microsoft and Google executives, tycoons, bank presidents, Wall Street moguls, all of them are also going to be there if they haven't trusted in Christ. So the rich and the famous do not get an excuse. The rich and the famous don't get a pass on this. They have to be there too. And so when the Bible says the small and the great, it's speaking of the rich and the poor, the healthy and the unhealthy, the short and the tall, the black and the white, every race of every people, every kindred, every tongue, people who don't believe in Jesus Christ will stand at this judgment. Well, the judgment is so inclusive that there is no one who can say, well, I'm different. I'm different from other people. I don't have to be there. I'm really a good person. I pay my taxes. I go, to, I go to church. I give to charities. I put my toy in the Toys for Tot box. I don't need to appear at, before the judge. No, all receive summons from this court. All are required to come no matter who you are. If you are not a believer, you're going to be at this judgment. Now before I go on, we need to take a brief moment to identify the judge. Who is he? Who sits over this court? 
That answer is given several times in Scripture. Let me just reference three of these times. John 5, 22, Jesus said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Jesus said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. John three thirty five. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. So you need to beware that the one who saves is also the judge that condemns. And he takes the rejection of him, of his salvation, very seriously. The scripture says that people who stand before this judgment flee away from his face. And that's because there is no part in the Savior for them. So now we know who the judge is. We know the judge is going to judge all that are there. That's an inclusive thing. And next we need to look at what is the basis for his judgment. What is he going to use as the criteria for judgment? Well, verse number 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Now notice in the last part of verse 12, it says the, de- the dead were judged out of those things that are written in the books. God keeps books. God has a record. God has a perfect record. He has a record of everything that you've ever done. From the first breath that you took when you were born, all the way to the last breath that you take when you die, God has a record of that and everything in between. Everything that happens in your life is recorded. Every action, every thought, every motive, every word, all of it's recorded. God has that information. Not one thing, not one scrap of it is lost. None of it's looked over. None of it's forgotten. And when this judgment comes, God is on to open the books and the record will be there. It will be there. No one can dispute the facts that are in the record. And I don't necessarily think that God is going to read what's in this book. I think God's more high-tech than that. I think what God will do is put this on a screen that's bigger than any IMAX theater that you've ever seen, and he's going to play out all the things that are in that record. And everybody's going to be able to watch to see what's there. Every secret thought that you've ever had, things that you would hope that nobody would ever know, is going to show up. And everybody will watch it as God shows the record. I believe that part of the anguish of the great white throne is that the record will be opened up for all to see and hear. All sins will be exposed. Every bad thing that you thought and you did, things that you hoped would never see the light of day, are suddenly opened up for everyone to see. And I don't think I have to argue very strenuously that that is a bad thing. You know that it's a bad thing. You know what you think about. You know what's on your heart. You know what you've seen. You know what you did last night. You know that you aren't perfect. You know that you do things that are wrong. All of those things are going to be there. There are things that you've forgotten about. Enough time goes by, you forget about things. But God never forgets about them. God has a record of everything that you do. 
everything that you think about. God doesn't forget. And you can argue that, well, the things that I do aren't really all that bad. They don't actually merit a place like hell. Well, there's one scripture that, that catches everybody, and everybody is guilty of this sin. It's in chapter 21, verse number 8, if you want to look there. It's actually a list of sins here. It says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, you can circle one in that list. Forget about the murder. Forget about the adultery. Forget about pornography and idolatry. Just forget those for just a minute. Those are very bad things. But it also says this. Did you ever do this? It says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You notice there that it doesn't say all very bad liars. And it doesn't say all that tell very hateful lies. And it doesn't say lies that just hurt people all the time. People who do that, they're going to go to hell. No, it says all liars. Even the white ones is cause for a person to go to hell. Never think, I'm not bad enough to go to hell. The Word of God says all liars will be in hell. It doesn't matter what kind of lie it is. If you've ever told a lie, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. So you don't want to lie to yourself. You don't be so foolish as to lie to yourself and say, I've never lied because you're, you're, you're on the express lane to hell if you started believing your own lies. So you can't say that. Now I promise you that Satan doesn't want you to know this. He doesn't want you to think about it. He doesn't want you to know that there's a judgment that comes. And if you do find out about it, Satan will immediately enter into your head and tell you that this judgment is just a relative judgment. It's relative to what others have done. Or it's relative to how much good and how much bad that you've done in your life. Now, all in all, you, you come out pretty good in comparison, when you compare yourself to others or you consider the good things that you've done as opposed to the bad things that you've done, well, let me help you out with that just a little bit today. How is God going to judge you? Well, there are actually two main issues that are involved. The two issues are righteousness and the records. Righteousness and the records. So let's look first at the standard of righteousness for judgment. This judgment is not a comparison to what others do. Now, I, I run into this a lot as pastor. I'm preaching sometimes when I'm done. Uh, people say, Pastor, why are you always picking on what I do? I, I'm not as bad as other people. Why are you always picking on me? Well, I'm sorry, folks, but the standard of righteousness is not what other people do. We, we tend to do that. Well, the first thing that we do, the first stopping place is we begin to justify our sins by comparing ourselves to what others do. How bad are they? Surely I'm better than them. And we learn that tactic in childhood. You ask a disobedient child, why did you do that? Did you ever ask your kids that? I mean, it just boggles your mind sometimes. Why did you do that? And they'll say, well, everybody else was doing it. Or what I did is not as bad as what they did. And we don't stop doing that when we become adults. We're always comparing ourselves to someone else. We're better than other people. Everybody believes in the theory of relativity. That may work in science, but that does not work with sin. Now, we think the standard of righteousness is what we think that it is. And so we, what does society say about it? Does society think that it's bad? And that's what we're going to judge by. 
But that's not, the, that's not the judgment that the Bible gives. Forget about that. God doesn't work in that way. He doesn't look at people and compare them to see which is bad and which are worse. His standard is not to find just a pretty good person and put you up against that pretty good person to see if you've done better things than him or worse things than him. Now, that's not the way that God judges. And you're certainly not going to be the standard. I mean, how objective would you be about whether you're good enough to go to heaven? You, you can always find somebody that's worse than you are. But there is someone that God is going to stand you up against. There is someone that he's going to compare you to. His name is Jesus. How do you look in comparison to him? Now, the other delusion of the devil is that judgment is according to a scale. This is where you put the good things on one side of the scale. You put the bad things on the other side of the scale. And if the scale tips to the good, you're okay. You'll be able to go into heaven. If the good deeds outweigh the bad ones. And do you know that's the most common idea that people have about judgment? That's the opinion of the average guy that you stop on the street, that you ask. And you ask him, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And he says, well, you know, I think I'll go to heaven because overall, I've done more good things than I have bad. That is so common. I'm sure everybody's heard that at some time or another. That question has actually been asked. People have surveyed those that are on the streets and they ask him, where are you going to go when you die? Less than 1% say that they think that they'll die and go to hell because, why? Because they think they're better than that. They're not bad enough to go to hell. And did you know that this is also religion's answer to the very same problem? Why do you think that there are people that go and visit confessional booths? They go there in order to make up for the bad things that they've done. They hope to tip the scale over to the good side. And so they go to the priest and the priest says, I'll give you penance so you can make up for the bad things that you've done. It's the very same thing. The judgment is based upon the good and the bad that you've done. Now I'm discussing a a different but a similar issue that I think that we can use as a comparison. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. John Gill made an interesting comment on that verse, and he said, They only consulted themselves and measured and compared themselves with themselves, which was acting just a foolish part, as if a dwarf was to measure himself, not with any kind of measure or with another person, but with himself, and only surveys himself in his own dimension, and fancies himself a giant. And I say, hear, hear to that, because there are many spiritual midgets who fancy themselves to be giants. They're measuring themselves by themselves, and that's the wrong standard. What is the standard? Well, Jesus, who is the righteous judge, told us what the standard is. Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, at the judgment, there's going to be one basic question. Are you perfect? That's what you're going to have to answer to. Are you perfect? Or maybe we could phrase it another way. Are you like God? Are you just like God? That's the question that's going to be asked. And if you don't meet that criterion, you are on your way to hell. Now, you see, we're in a pretty bad mess, aren't we? We're, we're deep in a hole here. This is a very deep mud hole for all of us. Perfection condemns all of us, doesn't it? Well, let me interrupt that flow of information to tell you something else that Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 8. He said, Blessed 
are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now the way to escape judgment is this. Be perfect. But you don't escape it by your own perfection. That's because you don't have it. I don't have it. He says the pure in heart are going to see God. Who are the pure in heart? Well, these are ones that have the goodness of Christ that's been given to them. He's perfect. And that's how you get into heaven. You must have the goodness of Christ given to you. And the way that you get it given to you is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have faith in Him. And that's how that we are justified with God. We are justified by faith. And so you see, the real reason that the small and the great stand before God is that they don't have the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's the standard. That's the only standard there is. You get in by the perfection of Jesus Christ. They never believed on Him, and so they stand there in their sinful imperfection. They cannot meet the standard of righteousness. No one does. Because the scripture says, For there is not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So forget about comparing yourself to others. Forget about any thoughts that you're okay because you've done more good than you have bad. Now, I'll leave the good side alone for just a minute because the Bible says that none of us has ever done any good. So what does that leave us with? Nothing but the bad. And so your scale tips straight to the bottom with the bad. And that means that you're going... To hell there's no good on the other side so one bad deed just one one bad thing that is enough to send you to hell so the first criterion for judgment is the standard of righteousness which is God himself if you are not perfect then you're going to hell now secondly is the records the records for judgment God is going to judge according to the records Verse number 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So he says the books were opened. Books is plural. That means there's more than one book. Then it says there is another book that was opened. So that means there are at least three books. So what are the books? Well, I do think that there are three of these books. Let's talk about them. What is that first book? Well, the first book is the good book. Everybody know what the good book is? I think we know what the good book is. There's one book that we put above all other books. And when we say good book, everybody knows that we're talking about the Bible. And isn't this interesting that people that know nothing at all about the Bible call it a good book? They know that there's something in there. They may not know what it is, but there's something in there that makes it good. It stands above all other books. And so if you live by the good book, what does that make you? Makes you good. And that's pretty much it. You live by the good book, you'll be good. A Bible comes from biblion. That's a Greek word that means... uh, Biblion means uh, writing, it means a book, it means a scroll. And the Bible is a writing... That came from God. The Bible is God's special revelation about himself. It's better than natural revelation. Natural revelation of God is what you see when you go outside. Or when you see, look at your skin and bones and yourself and see how the body is, how the body is made. Or you look at the sun, the moon, the stars. That's, that's a natural revelation. But the Bible is God's special revelation of himself because we find in there information that we can't get from any other source. This is what God says about himself. And we get detailed information here as much as God wants us to know about our lives, about the life 
beyond about how to live with God. That's all found in his book. Now, if you'll turn to John chapter 12 for just a moment, I can show you how you can know for sure what one of these books in Revelation 20 is. I, I, I know this for sure because the judge told us that he was going to use this book. John chapter 12 and verse number 48. John 12, 48. Here Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now you see there in verse number 48, the ones who are going to be at the great white throne, uh, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. That's what I've told you. Rejectors of Christ, unbelievers, they're going to be at this judgment. And what is Christ going to use to judge them? He says, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, the Bible is the only record of what God said. I don't care what anybody else says. The Bible is the record of what God said. And all other things that they call their Bibles or call the Word of God are not the Word of God because our Bible, 66 books, that's what God said. That's all that God said. That's all he wants us to know. We find everything we need to know about God in these 66 books. In the Bible is the gospel of Christ. There it tells us the gospel saves. And the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it comes down to this, a very simple thing in one measure, and that is no gospel, no salvation. No gospel, no salvation. Ignore that to your everlasting destruction. So the first book, is the Bible. It's the good book. Now, the second book that God brings out is the book of works. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Now, we've already covered that one. That's the record of everything that you've done. And your record is going to be compared to commands that are in the Bible. Did you do them? Your works will show. Did you do them? Did you do the commands that are in the Bible? All of them... Did you break any of them, and did you do all of them perfectly? That's what it's going to be compared to. And the book of works is going to answer that question. What did you do in comparison to what the Bible says? Now, there's a third book, and that is the book of life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What is the book of life? That's the most controversial of the three books. It's a book that has the name of every person that is in the kingdom of God. That part of it's very simple. God opens this book. Is your name there? Very simple thing. Is your name there? It's either there or it's not. It is or it isn't. It's the simple part. That pretty much is agreed on everyone. Your name has to be in the book of life. Now, let, let's check that out by first going to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. If you'll turn to Daniel chapter 12, the book of life is referred to in the Old Testament in connection with judgment. Daniel chapter 12, and in verse number 1, Daniel 12, verse number 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up 
the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and that turn many to righteousness, they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, this is one of the Old Testament passages that is very, very large in its scope. It doesn't separate different events of the last, uh, last times into its component parts. And so we see the scope is very broad, encompassing the, the period from the very beginning up to the rapture, on through the tribulation, on through the millennial period, and then uh, the final destruction of the wicked on the physical planet. A few weeks ago, I read an article that was written by a Jewish lady who said that the Jews reject Christ because there is no concept in the Jewish religion that they need to be saved. Well, here is an Old Testament text that refutes her because in verse number 12 it says, At that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now the word delivered there is a Hebrew word that's often translated in other parts of Scripture as escape, as get away, and as saved. What is the subject of Daniel chapter 12? It's judgment. It's about being saved from shame and everlasting contempt. And so the difference we have here is between everlasting life and everlasting contempt. So it seems very clear that the Jews believe there was something to be saved from. So God said, if your name is written in this book, you will be delivered you will be, you will escape, you will be saved. Well, saved from what? Saved from this judgment that's coming. Saved in order to have everlasting life as opposed to everlasting death. What Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Where are they written? They're written in the book of life. Revelation 21 verse 27 tells us who is going to heaven. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So your name has to be in the book of life. Now, next comes the hard part, which really shouldn't be hard at all if we believe the Bible, and that is, when were those names written? Some say, well, they're written down when you believe. There's an old revival song that says, there's a new name written down in glory. No, no, there aren't any new names that are written down. They were written before the foundation of the world. That's what we read in Revelation 13.8 and in 17.8. Those verses do not say that your name is written down when you believe. They're written before the foundation of the world. That's before you were born, before God created the world. And that's a long, long time before you believed. Now, recognizing that fact, at least there are some who recognize, well, yes, the Bible does say when the names are written down. And so we've got to get around the implications of that. And so they say, well, everybody's name is written down. Everybody that's ever lived has had their name written down in the book of life. And that if you don't believe, then what God will do is scratch your name out of that book. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's bordering on blasphemy. You can't sell God short in any more, in any better way than have that opinion. 
Can you imagine the God that sees all, who knows all, determines all, has a pencil with a huge eraser on it, and he has a bottle of whiteout that's sitting on his desk, and he starts marking out names because he just wasn't sure who needed to stay in that book. So he wrote them all down, and then they don't come to belief, and so he marks their names out and say, well, I'm sorry, your name's not in the book of life. I scratched it off. It was there, but I scratched it out. Well, what God are we talking about here? God doesn't know more than that, that he had to write down names and scratch them out? Well, that's, that's foolishness. It's utter foolishness. We need to figure out what God that we're dealing with here. But here we have it. This is God's criteria for judgment. The Bible, what did you do? The Bible, what did you do? The book of works, what did you, or what were you told to do? That's the Bible. The book of works is what did you actually do? The Bible, what were you told to do? The book of works, what did you do? And then the book of life, is your name there or is it not? Well, I think you need to know what the devil doesn't want you to know. You need to know what preachers are hiding every Sunday when they come into the pulpit and they skip texts that deal with judgment and hell. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are headed for judgment. You're going to be processed out. And the punishment due the rejection of Jesus Christ is a place called hell. So I've told you what you need to do. I've told you what you must believe, what God requires. You know the criteria. At least you know some of what's written in the books that are in heaven. And you know enough now to understand you aren't perfect. And if you understand that, I'm not perfect, then you should understand you better do something about it. I've got to do something about this. Because when a person arrives at this judgment, he has passed the point of doing anything about it. When you get there, that's it. The verdict is not going to change. These are all people that appear, all people that appear at this judgment are those who are unbelievers. There is no more opportunity. So what does that mean to you? Now is your time. Now is your opportunity. You've got to do something now. You wait till then. It's too late. But here's good news for you. There is no requirement. There is no requirement for you to be at this judgment if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says you don't have to appear there. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to appear at this judgment if you have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that you need to take care of right now. Now, I haven't yet told you much about hell. I haven't told you about degrees of punishment in hell. We're going to discuss that. I haven't yet told you what, what hell is like. I haven't yet told you the arguments of why hell must be an eternal place. Those things are coming. The devil doesn't want you to know anything about any of that. He tries to keep all of that a secret. And the only way that he can keep you from knowing is that you don't come back to hear me tell you about it. Stay away and you won't hear it. Or if I die before I get done with this series, which some of you think, well, he's surely going to die before he gets done with all of this. But I'm not, if I don't die, you'll get to hear every one of them, every one of these sermons until we're done. And that'll tell you a whole lot about hell, things that you need to know. I'm just telling you now, don't be deluded by the devil. Judgment is coming. This judgment is coming. And I surely hope that you won't be there. Examine your heart. Make sure that there is not in you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you 
thinking about the terrible passage that we've just read, the terrible implications of this. People standing before a great white throne with no hope of recovery, all of their sins being exposed, the embarrassment of that is bad enough, or we would think is bad enough, that's a horrible thing, but it doesn't even touch what's coming afterwards because all of eternity will be spent in the torments of that awful place with no relief, with sin continuing, with judgment having passed, no hope of recovery, and being abandoned in that awful place of fire. Lord, I just pray you'd speak to someone's heart today. They'd say, I had no way that I want to go there. No way I want to do that. Give me the perfection of Jesus Christ. And may you turn hearts to you in, in faith, believing, repenting of sin, believing, and coming to you to know that there will be no judgment for the believer. Lord, speak to hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. congregation today, I know that, at least in, in what I know about you, I'm, I'm more looking at the person who meets that Hebrews passage, beware lest there be in you a heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, because I think I'm speaking mostly to people who say that they're Christians. I don't like telling stories, but I'm going to tell you just a very short one here before we go. When I was a young man, uh, very young, still living at home. In our house, we, my dad and mom would take in college students that were going to the uh, same college where my dad attended, and we would take them in, and, and uh, we would uh, house them and feed them and so forth, help them out as they were going through the Bible college. There was a young man that I met, and uh, he was about, well, he was just, just Bible college age, you know, just got out of high school, and he was going to college there, and, and uh, he was studying to be a preacher. And, uh, of course, he believed that he was saved, and he had surrendered to the call to preach, what he thought was his call to preach. And so he ended up going to Brazil, and he was a missionary there for, oh, I don't know, several, several years. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly how many years it was, but for a long, long time. And this man got back to the States on one of his furloughs, and he listened to a gospel message again, somebody, just a preacher, preaching on hell and preaching on coming to Christ in faith. And he realized that all of those years that he thought he was saved, even on the mission field, giving the gospel to other people, he come to understand that he didn't really have Christ in his own heart. And so he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was saved, baptized. I mean, he'd been baptized before. That was no good. So baptized. And then re-surrendered to the mission field, went back out and became a great missionary and still there today. Well, actually, he's come back now. He's, it's been long enough that he's retired from the mission field. But that can happen to anybody who thinks that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're going through the motions. You've heard the information. You got it all. And you think that you're there. You think that you have arrived. But you need to look at your heart very closely. Do I really know... Jesus Christ. You want to be sure, because I, as I said, you reach this judgment, you're not going to be able to look back and say, well, look at all the good things that I did. Because if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is no good that you have done. There is nothing considered there that's good. There's no do-overs, folks. Make sure that you know Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.